like Becky and Jen said, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. So Becky is my wife. She was the one that did the announcement. She's a cute lady. So I'm glad she was like tricked her into doing that, tricked Jen into doing that too, coming on up here. So uh, yes, I'm not the uh, regular preacher, the regular guy who preaches. He had a name, Brandon. Uh, he had a, uh, a funeral to officiate in the Chicago area. So he's down there. I don't think he's on Navy Pier this morning or anything like that, but he's like down there. So anyway, so, uh, so in this sermon, um, it's part of a long summer series that we're doing uh, just about like what it means to look at Jesus and the gospel in the Old Testament and finding that in there. So, so in this sermon, we're going to be, be camping out in Genesis 22 um, with the story of I, Abraham and Isaac. And in the end, we're going to see how the gospel jumps off the page in that story. And we're also going to see how the gospel is like central to our faith when it's being tested. So first of all, Abraham was the original patriarch of the nation of Israel. He was just the OG of Israel. So like Andy talked, like Andy preached last week, he did a great job with that. So like Andy talked about last week, God spoke to Abraham in Genesis 12, told him to pack up and move, which is a big deal because like, it's not like it was a transient culture where you just could go on like, you know, some website and get a job and then like you move somewhere else and like wherever. It's like, this wasn't a transient culture. God told him to pack up and move, um, And God told Abraham that he was going to make him and his family into a great nation for the sake of God's glory, um, which is a really big deal. It's like all the people on the earth would be blessed through Abraham. And one of the main reasons why that sounds crazy, like like Andy illustrated last week, um, was uh, they didn't have any kids. So this would be like an 80-year-old couple... Um, on their deathbed, and you know they're broke as heck, and they're just being like, "Hey, you're going to be the richest people in the whole world before you die." And be like, "That's crazy. We don't own any money." <laughs> so like, that's as crazy as this was. Like, um, Abraham um, and his wife Sarah, they were just like really old, and it's like your whole family is going to be a great nation. Like, cray cray. That's going to be really crazy. So after Genesis 12, the story of Abra- Abraham uh, marches on for another 10 chapters. And as Andy, as Andy skillfully pointed out last week, the Bible is just really honest about the moral failings of Abraham and his wife, Sarah. So Andy ended his sermon in chapter 15 last week, and spoiler alert, um, the, uh, the stories about Abraham and his wife like uh, kind of get worse from there even. Um, there's just a lot of high highs and a lot of low lows like in the midst of those chapters. Like when it comes to like just their morals and decision-making. I don't know if that's a good way to put it. Um, I could encourage you to read those on your own. Okay, and just side note, side note, um, piggybacking on what Andy said last week about that, um, one of the reasons why I find it really plausible that the Bible um, is something from God and not something that um, a bunch of people just made up um, is because the Bible is just really honest about people. It's like, it doesn't, like, it's just really unflinching. It's just like, there's just all the warts are right there. I mean, like, it's just like, it just shows people in all their messiness, like, and just everything like there. Um, yeah, it's just, it just seems like, for me, like, man, like, the Bible is just too honest to be made up. So, like, um, and not to sound, like, rude or pejorative or anything like that, but, man, if you read the Book of Mormon sometimes, um, like, the heroes in that book man, they are just way too perfect. <laughs> you know, it's just like, I think you just made up the story up. Because, <laughs> like, these people are just way too, like, flawless. And, like, that's, I, 
I don't relate to that at all. <laughs> I really don't. Um, yeah, and that's in stark contrast to, um, in particular, to what we see with Abraham. These, are, these chapters are just really honest about him. And God did that on purpose because it helps us see that the world isn't divided up into good guys and bad guys. Like, biblically speaking, the world is divided up into, like, one good guy, and we're all the bad guys. Jesus is the good guy. We're all the bad guys. And, like, that's good news. So, and this might submarine my whole point here, but uh, Genesis 22 is actually a story where Abraham comes off pretty well. <laughs> so, like, and this was one of his good days. It really was. Um, but it's good to keep a well-rounded picture of him. So, end side note. All right. So in Genesis 21, Abraham and Sarah finally have a baby, um, and they name him Isaac. They have a son. So they're really old for being first-time parents, and it's been about 25 years since Genesis 12 when God first said that he was going to make Abraham's family into a great nation. So I can't imagine waiting 25 years for God to do anything. I mean, most of us get impatient, you know, for if God doesn't do what we want him to do by next Tuesday. Um, yeah, but like, so they must have been relieved and so filled with joy. God said he was going to do this. And 25 years later, like, wow, we have a son. Like God's, oh man, God finally like did that. It's like, man. So as we pick it up in Genesis 22, um, Isaac is a few, he's probably somewhere between 10 and 15 years old. And we'll pick it up there. So Genesis 22, verse 1. All right. Verse 1, sometime later, God tested Abraham. So time out right there. <laughs> like, like, it's, like, it's intimidating enough when you have a professor or something like that. Like, my, man, this one kid that I knew, um, he, had, he had this electrical engineering class, and, like, he, his professor was so hard. Um, on his professor's door, he had uh, this picture of Gandalf. And like with the big stick or whatever, and he's like, and the caption was like, "You shall not pass." You know, he's just really like, that's intimidating. Like, I don't want to take this class again. It's like it's t- intimidating enough when a professor's like, you know, is going to give you a test, but the king of the universe is going to give me a test. Um, that's that just sounds really intimidating. So now I think the concept of testing is one of the more misunderstood concepts in Scripture. And this is important to know because it helps us understand what's going to be going on in Genesis 22. So in my opinion, the best place in Scripture to, to learn about the biblical understanding of God testing us is in James chapter 1 in the New Testament. So this is what, what it says in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So according to James, the ultimate goal, there is a goal. Okay. According to James, the ultimate goal of testing, the testing of our faith is spiritual maturity. The ultimate goal of the testing of our faith is spiritual maturity. There's a desired outcome for it. 
it's not like the crazy electrical, electrical engineering professor who's like, man, I'm just going to see what you got. And like, all right, let's see if you're going to pass or not because I don't really care. <laughs> I get paid either way. It's like God isn't like that. He is a good father. So when like, um, even in the midst of crazy circumstances, like whatever that testing of our faith looks like, there's an ultimate goal and God is a good father and like he wants, he wants us to succeed. Like he wants us to grow in spiritual maturity. So in the biblical sense, testing is for the, testing is for the good of our spiritual maturity, which isn't, which isn't meant to elicit performance anxiety or anything like that because God is not the angry professor. He's not. He's a good father. And as we'll find out with Abraham in, this, in Genesis 22, this is a pretty unique kind of testing. So Abraham's spiritual maturity is the goal. And not just Abraham's spiritual maturity, but also like the future nation of Israel. It's like it's about their spiritual maturity as well. Because from his family, from Abraham's family, um, will become the nation of Israel. And like the purpose of God discipling the nation of Israel is that so, the, so eventually um, the salvation, that will be the springboard to the salvation of the rest of the world. So like that's really important. So there's a purpose to the testing. So back to Genesis 22. So sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. So Abraham wasn't hiding from God. He was eager, like, here I am. Verse 2. Then God said, take your son. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on, the, on a mountain I will show you. And as I was preparing um, this sermon, it was just really hard for me to engage with even thinking about like what Abraham was thinking and just the conflictedness that was going on up there. Like the king of the universe said this, and like I just... I don't know. I, it's just hard for me to even like enter into that and engage with it because it's just, I just can't. <laughs> I mean, on one hand, um, Abraham didn't live in a child-centric culture. You know, he just really seemed like a blue-collar dude who just sucks it up, do what he's supposed to do, and just like doesn't complain. Kind of like my dad. <laughs> you know, Abraham's like my dad. It's weird. Um, you know, and plus, this might sound alarming, but... Um, Child sacrifice was a thing back then. Not for the God of Israel, you know, but like in the surrounding um, religions of the surrounding nations around Abraham, like child sacrifice was a thing. I mean, it was a pretty brutal culture. I mean, it was usually to, the child sacrifices were usually to um, like fertility gods and stuff like that. And like, so God will be blessed if I sacrifice, you know, a child. And like, it was just, I mean, it was pretty brutal. I mean, so, like, maybe Abraham was thinking, like, well, I mean, these other gods do this. I mean, maybe this isn't as crazy. But, like, even if all that's true, he's just, like, he's a blue-collar dude. Like, suck it up. Don't complain. It's, like, maybe this isn't as weird as I think. Like, I mean, this is your son. (laughs) I mean, I mean, it's his only son, verse 2, whom he loves. Like, I can't imagine how devastating that would be after 25 years of waiting for God to provide, it's like, that's what happens. I, I have a family. I'm finally going to have, a, I finally have a son who I deeply love. And now God is asking me 
this. And he's talking about a burnt offering in this verse. That was when you, t- you killed a goat or a bull or a lamb or something really valuable in your herd and burned it as a way to make, a, make atonement with the God that you worship because he's God and I'm not, and my sin is so bad that like something valuable of mine just needs to die. And Hebrews 10 in the New Testament, what that really says is that like when there's like a burnt offering, like that just like, man, that is just a reminder of like just how I'm not God and he's God and my sin is so bad, like, you know. Um, and goats and bulls were really valuable back then. How much more valuable, because it was an agricultural time. Goats and bulls were really valuable. How much more valuable is your only son whom you love? God is asking Abraham to go sacrifice what is most valuable to him. Verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. So he's finally getting there. Verse 5. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. So a big question in this verse is, um, what's going on with him saying the word we? Like, is Abraham just being coy about what's going to go down? Is he naive? Like, my opinion is uh, the sense this passage is about the testing of Abraham, and in the end, he comes off really well in this passage. Um, my best guess is that this verse is an expression of Abraham's great faith in the moment. So God isn't like all the other pagan gods who sacrifice kids. Abraham knows he'll find a, God will provide a way for that not to happen. It's like, I know what he's promised already. That's my guess, guess. Verse six. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son, on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Man, what a gut-wrenching question. Kids, that's the most gut-wrenching question. If you're not a parent, like just buckle up for those, you know? Gosh. So how does Abraham answer? Verse 8. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Again, I don't think he's trying to be coy here. This passage is about the testing of Abraham, and it's a great example of his faith. And it's like, God himself will provide. Like, I have faith that's going to happen. Even in the midst of my testing, the testing of my faith, God's going to provide. Verse 9. When he reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. 
he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. The scripture doesn't tell us, but like, um, but when he took the knife to slay Isaac, um, I just wonder if he still had the faith that God was going to provide in that moment. You know, is he going to provide the substitutionary sacrifice for Isaac? Yeah, we don't know. Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. So he's trying to get his attention. <laughs> Here I am, he replied. He says, Here I am, like right at the beginning of the verse. Verse 12. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. And I, I can just like hear the relief, like in the midst, like, like if this passage had subtitles or like footnotes on it, it's like, man, there's just relief, like just right there. Don't do anything to him. Now I know you fear that you fear God because you have not withheld your son from me, your son, your only son. Now let's keep in mind, this is a pretty unique testing of God's people. Like after all, God hasn't promised you <laughs> that he'll make your family a great nation and like for the sake of the glory of, the, of God's glory among the nations. So this is pretty unique and I think that's really fair to say. Um, but we can see that the goal of this test for Abraham was Abraham's spiritual maturity. And that's right in line with what we see with James 1. There's a goal and a purpose to the testing of Abraham's faith because God is a good father. And the story gets even better from here. Verse 13. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket, I don't call anything a thicket, in a thicket, He saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. So God is the one who provided the sacrifice. Like, he didn't go out and search for the ram, like, all this kind of stuff. Like, no, like, God just, like, there it is. Like, he provided. God provided the substitutionary sacrifice for Isaac. God provided what, we, what, we, what was needed, and we see that God is rarely early, he, but never late, and he always arrives and provides exactly when he intends to. And in doing so, he gets all the credit and he gets all the glory. And that is one of the overall themes of the Bible is that like he gets the credit because life is about God and not about us. Verse 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord. Because when you're God, you can swear by yourself. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and, on the, and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Now, Big picture, we see the ultimate fulfillment of like what God is saying in this. Um, 
like through what God is currently doing through the church. Because a few hundred generations down the line, one of Abraham's descendants was born, Jesus. And we are blessed because of the obedience of Jesus to live the life that we were supposed to live and die the death that we were supposed to die. So I remember um, I became a Christian in late high school. Um, I didn't tell anybody I became a Christian because I didn't talk about faith stuff ever, which was, as I look back, I'm like, that's kind of weird. Um, but when I got to college, I got involved with um, a ministry called InterVarsity, and it was, um, I actually studied this passage for the first time ever. It was actually at the camp that Jen was talking about. And uh, yeah, I remember reading this passage, and I remember telling my InterVarsity staff, I'm like, after reading it and everything, I was like, that passage is weird. You know, like that's, that's, I just have a problem with it. Because like that's a pretty traumatic ordeal to put someone through, um, you know, just for the testing of his faith and spiritual maturity. Like it just seems like God could have like figured out a better way to do that. Like that's just weird and I have a problem with that. You know, and in hindsight, I think there were a a few things I didn't understand about this passage. Um, first of all, um, I didn't know how important at the time, I didn't know how important my spiritual maturity was. Um, I didn't know how much God valued that. Um, I didn't know how that, and I especially didn't know, because I mean, if I look at this, if I look at this uh, passage right now, I can see that, you know, it wasn't just about Abraham. It was about like how Abraham's spiritual maturity was going to be the springboard to the salvation of the rest of the world, which was like Abraham's spiritual maturity was about mission, was ultimately the outworking of that was mission. So like God cared about my spiritual maturity for the sake of his glory, but like also for the sake of like mission that comes from that. Um, I just didn't, I just didn't know how important my spiritual maturity was. Um, And I also didn't realize um, that God is God and he knows um, how to best to bring that about for his glory. Like, he cares about my spiritual maturity. He knows how to bring it about, you know, in the best way possible because he's God and I'm not. And I also didn't understand at the time that, like, one of the big reasons that God did this with Abraham was to foreshadow the gospel. It's like, yeah. It's like, do we hear the whispers of the gospel throughout this story? So here's the deal. The people of Israel, they knew this story like the back of their hand. They knew, oh, I don't know if they're like sitting around the campfire in Jerusalem. Like, ah, I remember when like, Ab- like Abraham almost sacrificed Isaac. I mean, they just knew this story. Like, um, you know, they didn't have video back then. They were such a, like an oral culture. And like, that's why it was important. Like stuff was actually written to like put down and everything. It's like, but it was just like such a story oriented culture. It's like, oh, Abraham and Isaac. So, um, so when the point of this it was then, like when Jesus came and lived his life and died the death that he died, it's like when you look at his life, it's like, oh, that's what that story was like. Like there were whispers of Jesus like in the midst of that story with Abraham and Isaac. Like, and God wants us to see those connections as well. Like God the Father is the true and better Father Abraham. Abraham gave up his one and only son whom he loved to be sacrificed. 
Like, did you notice the repetition of the phrase throughout that story? Throughout the story, like your one and only son, who you love. That phrase is repeated in the Gospels, and that's on purpose because God the Father gave up His one and only Son, whom He loved and had eternal friendship with us, with with each other, with Him. Yeah, and just just to be sacrificed. Yeah, and we see in like verse twelve, man. Like, I hope you notice that part. Verse 12, Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And we see like God the Father, he didn't withhold his own son like to be sacrificed. So God the Father is the true and better Father Abraham. Jesus is the true and better Isaac. Did you see how Isaac carried the wood on his back up the mountain to be sacrificed? Like Jesus carried, carried his wooden cross like up on his back to where he was going to be sacrificed. Jesus is the true and better sacrifice. God himself provided the ram as a substitutionary sacrifice for Isaac. Just like God provides the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus for us. Like our sin is so bad that Jesus had to die. But we are so loved that Jesus was happy to die for us. That's the good news. Jesus is the true and better Abraham. Jesus is the true and better Abraham. Abraham's obedience led to great things, as we see in this passage, especially near the end there. But the obedience of Jesus led to even greater things, such as the actual restoration of our standing and relationship with God through faith in Christ. The obedience of Abraham is only a shadow to the greater obedience of Jesus through his life and on his way to the cross. So Hebrews 12 in the New Testament, like, it has this little phrase about Jesus, and it says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That sounds crazy if you know anything about crucifixion. That is awful and the worst place to, to way to die. But for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And that kind of obedience of being going to the cross, that doesn't sound like raw, begrudging obedience. That kind of joyful obedience um, for the joy set before him um, only stems from having a changed heart that comes from knowing Jesus as your forgiver and your leader. That kind of obedience is supernatural because it's joyful and willing. That's why Abraham isn't the hero of this story. The, the, this story is only a whisper of a greater story, which is Jesus, and we worship him because he's worth it. Yeah, and that kind of joyful obedience, it's supernatural because then you just can't, um, you just can't manufacture that. Yeah. And let's not forget the even deeper level of good news, that Jesus was perfectly obedient on our behalf when his faith was being tested in his life. Because the reality is, when our faith is being tested for the sake of our spiritual maturity, we're going to suck at it, just so you know. Like, maybe you'll have some good days. We're going to be like Abraham. Like, we're going to have some good days. We're going to have some bad days. Like, but, like, the good news is that... Um, Jesus was perfectly obedient for us. So when we put our faith in Jesus, like that perfect 
Jesus, the perfect obedience of Jesus is credited to us. So when God looks at us, he sees the perfect obedience of Jesus. That's why we're pleasing to him, and that's why, that's why it's like salvation and everything with that, with Jesus, like it's a gift and it's good news. It's like he didn't just forgive us, which is a big deal. He didn't just forgive us. He gave us his righteousness. Yeah. Jesus passed the test for us, ultimately. That's why, like, when we're being tested by God, when our faith is being tested, like, that's why we can pick ourselves off the mat, up off the mat and keep going, because Jesus has already done that for us. He's already passed the test for us. It's all about him, and that's good news. Let's pray. So, Jesus, we're thankful for you. Um, we're thankful for you passing all the tests for us, God. We're thankful that, like, um, you care about our spiritual maturity. We're thankful that you gave us um, the, the story of Abraham and Isaac for your sake and your glory. Um, yeah, and we just pray that, like, um, we will worship you because we love you. And not some, out of some kind of um, man, you know, manufactured um, religiousness or anything, God. So we trust you and we love you and we can only do this by the power of your spirit and we love you. Amen.